0: It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis.
1: And I'm Sky David.
0: So, you are not my regular co-host, Sky David. Who are you? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I am John Bell, and I am honored that um, you know I'm, I'm a fan of the podcast. I listen to it, to it every week, and the fact that I get to sit here and have this conversation is pretty cool. So I'm excited to be here.
0: You're going from making news in the General Assembly to, to helping us kind of cover the week that just happened and maybe preview next week.
2: Well, look, and I'll, I'll tell you, Brian, from a uh, legislative standpoint, getting a chance to, to, to know the members more intimately. Uh, has been really key to me and and understanding their backgrounds because these are things that you don't get a chance to do while you're in the middle of session or in committee meeting. And so um, I've really enjoyed the podcast.
0: For those uh, unaware, Sky's a little under the weather this week. Her voice is gone. Majority Leader John Bell, we we asked him yesterday if he would step in for Sky, and and here he is on Thursday afternoon. We're recording the podcast. The General Assembly has left essentially for the week but things are still happening in the house behind closed doors mr leader can you kind of Give us a little peek as to what is going on today and and what the plan is next week.
2: Well, if you look at the calendar, people say, man, you really didn't do much this week legislatively. Oh, but we did. Uh, We're in the middle of navigating through our budget process. The Senate a few weeks back sent us over their budget, and it's our turn to take our shot at it. And so our area appropriation chairs have been working at each subcommittees, general government, agriculture, transportation. A lot of our appropriations work is will be done this week and, and, and mostly of next week. And then you'll see our version of the state budget roll out probably that second week in August.
0: Do you have an opportunity to kind of pay attention to what's going on in the other chamber as they're moving legislation? Because they've been moving some stuff this week that's really kind of gotten people's attention.
2: It's nice mm-hmm. um, to have the spotlight on them, not <laughs> us, right? <laughs> so, so, so you know, and, and they're through their budget process, and so they're able to start moving some of the the more heavier bills that that, that we were moving while they were doing their budget mm-hmm. process. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, yeah, I get a chance to sneak a peek and see what's going on and talk to my my, my counterparts in the in the Senate. And listen, uh, so they're having a lot of interesting discussions this week.
0: A lot. So this week in the Senate, they brought up this North Carolina High School Athletic Association issue. There's lots of issues around going back to COVID. And as senators were looking at the association, they they learned that there's a lot of money being amassed over there, I think $40 million in assets. And the legislation that Senator Todd Johnson is talking about essentially would take the High School Athletic Association out of the governance role of of overseeing high school athletics. Now, I know
2: you have a sports background. You coached football at the high school level. I did uh, high school and middle school uh, for four years. And of course, I played and. I'm an avid fan, uh, and, well, you know, being from small towns, that, mm-hmm. that was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Everybody's at a ball game, whether it's basketball, football, baseball, volleyball, everybody goes. That's, That's what right. we do. Um, you know, and I've had, um, I, I've been involved in this process with the Senate. You know, we had the Oversight Committee hearing, and where it was both House and Senate, Republican Democrats came in and asked questions. And, and it just seemed that the more questions we asked, the more they couldn't answer mm-hmm. and um, the information that was requested uh, it was met with a um, staunch opposition mm-hmm. and it's like why and uh, and then you looked at the financials and they didn't add up and you look at that North Carolina is the uh, over 40 40 million dollars in total assets it's the largest athletic association, high school athletic association in the country, which, you know, we're proud of, mm-hmm. but we're taking money from all the public schools and private schools, a lot of private schools here in the state of North Carolina. And at the same time, we've got some public schools that are in the playoffs and they, they have mismatching uniforms. They, they can't afford to do this. <laughs> but yeah, we've got $41 million in assets here that the high school athletic association could be using to support these schools. I, I just think that our high school athletic association, if the mission, is serving a student-athlete, then we need to serve the student-athlete, not hoard a bunch of money to say we have a bunch of money.
0: Yeah. Well, this bill seems to have legs. I imagine that it's coming over to your chamber sometime in the near future. It's going to be interesting to see how you guys tackle this. Another bill that we've been watching, all of us it seems, is medicinal marijuana. Senator Rabin, the powerful rules chairman, was recently profiled in an article in the assembly where he talks eloquently about why he wants medicinal marijuana. He is a cancer survivor. He has buried friends. And this bill got a finance hearing this past week. It, it got a hearing two weeks ago in the Judiciary Committee, goes through finance, where we talk about this is going to be profitable for the state the estimates are that we're going to see in the tens of millions of dollars by selling a license for a distributor to be able to sell medicinal marijuana i know you guys haven't taken this up but you got to be watching it right because it's it's headline news it seems
2: every day yeah we were um it, it was very interesting I, I joked the other week you know here it is we're sitting here and we've got a Zebra Cobra running around Raleigh, the Senate's <laughs> taking up marijuana, and we're looking at energy. I mean, wow, what a week. <laughs> what a week. And I went through um, watching my grandmother suffer from, from cancer and, and ultimately passed away. And more recently, um, my father-in-law, um, May was a year since he passed away mm-hmm. from cancer. And and every, everybody has these experiences now. And you've also seen a lot of uh, newer faces in the General Assembly, younger faces. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so this issue is um, is, is relevant in the conversation and how we move forward. You've seen other states around us start moving forward with medical marijuana. You seen other states go full blown recreational. I don't think that's going to happen here in the state of North Carolina anytime soon. But this is the first time a a, a Republican, somebody mm-hmm. that has the um, the, I guess, well, power of Senator Bill Rabin filing a bill, who's also a cancer survivor, mm-hmm. and so so you take a piece of legislation that you're able to to put the the personalities behind it and you have the personal attachment but then also we've listened to some of the discussions you know you've got these veterans walking into the room and saying hey look this is this has helped me you know it's Mm -hmm. got me out of opioids and and it's got me through some very tough times um these are very compelling stories so it's going to be interesting to see how the senate plays out senator Rabin made it a point to make sure that it has a long vetting process, mm-hmm. because it is a big step for our state. So it's going to be interesting to see if it makes it over to the House and uh, and, and and how we navigate through that, because because it is a uh, it's a very emotional charged subject.
0: And your role as majority leader in the House is to preside over the House Caucus. So you may or may not have a position on a bill, but your job is to. Have that discussion within your caucus to see how your caucus is going to proceed or not proceed. This must be a caucus meeting for the ages if it gets over to the House. And that's a big if, if, if it gets if, over.
2: If it gets over to the House. And, and this will be one that I imagine a lot of people will be wanting to know what happened. So so stay tuned.
0: Yesterday on the House floor, it was it was a nice moment to have the General Assembly stop its business the house specifically stop its business and honor a former member who by the way meant a lot to me when I was a young lobbyist Melanie Wade Goodwin you did not serve with her but did you know
2: I, I did not and I didn't know her but I I, I knew of her mm-hmm. and you know sitting there yesterday and I, I will say normally when we do a, a memorial resolution like that the family comes in hmm but the gallery was full yesterday and and that spoke volumes to the person that she was. And it wasn't just, you know, family members, it was former colleagues, former, um, you know, professional colleagues, former legislative colleagues, members of the council of state, family, extended family. Um, um, Denise Weeks, the Mm -hmm. the former clerk of the house was there. And so it was a testimony to the life that she lived. And, and then you had a, a bipartisan, Um, a bipartisan group of legislators stand up and talk about what she meant to them and and, and the person that she was, and uh, that's a great legacy. You
0: know, lobbyists all have their go-to legislators, and when Representative Goodwin came into the House in 2005, you know, you've seen this, some members don't let grass Mm -hmm. grow under their feet. She was one of them. She practiced family law, so I I was working for a child advocacy organization, and, and so dealing a lot with mental health issues substance abuse family issues and she was just the go-to and it was great to hear uh speaker pro tem uh, sarah Stevens speak about that yesterday i know represent speaker moore had a great relationship with Representative goodwin she she died of cancer uh, in 2020 and we were unable to to honor her until now because we're we're out of we're, we're coming out of the pandemic but Representative Goodwin w- was such a good person, respected across the aisle. She was certainly uh, near and dear to my heart. As, you know, when I was a young lobbyist, I, you know, you'd see these death notices come in, and, and I would listen to the House Joint Resolution, because it gives you kind of a history of the General Assembly. Now that I'm 20 years in, I'm now I now know the names of these people. Uh, these are people that... You know, Rep- Senator Mark Baznight, Senator Tony Rand. Um, it it really is Representative Arlie Culp recently. It, it's it's so you know it just hits home now. And mm-hmm. and you know you're you're going to see it too, right? I mean, we've lost members. We lost Representative Linda Johnson two yeah, years well, we ago. we
2: lost Representative Linda Johnson, and, and that's still one. Uh, you know, I, I've. I walked past that number three desk and, uh, and and you know, Jamie Bowles, Representative Jamie Bowles has a sun drop. Yeah. Still sitting on his desk. And uh, for those of everybody that knew, Representative Johnson knew that she loved some sun drop. Yeah. And so and so I see that. Um you go into to Representative Sane's office and he's got an article up with pictures of opening day and you see Ruth Samuelson and yeah. Jim Folger That's right. There and uh and, and then you know you know the debates that we would have with um with paul loebke and, and others and j- just j- just the, the the great people that have put put their lives aside for the most part mm-hmm. and, and and put their families aside and said hey you know I, I'm, I'm called to go serve and so um so yeah i'm, I'm in going in year number 10 mm-hmm. and um those, those, those resolutions, they don't, get, they don't get any easier.
0: They don't. One thing it does do that I think is a positive, and, and I wish the public saw it because they, they read the headlines and they think that all you guys do down there is go at each other's throats. Yesterday, and then, you know, Representative Linda Johnson, when, when we memorialize them, it really does show what a family. The legislative body is. Yesterday, you guys had uh, Jennifer Weiss. Representative Jennifer Weiss was on the floor. You were inviting Democrat former members mm-hmm. to come on to the floor because I know the gallery was really crowded. So it, it was just. It really does show that yes, you have your differences, but at the same time there is a collegiality, a family, if you will.
2: Well, and you know, former representative slash senator Spice Legend. Uh, <laughs> Mickey Michaud was on <laughs> yeah, the floor. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I don't recall him. I, was, I asked him yesterday, I was like, are you senator representative? Yeah, Which yeah, one? Because yeah. he served uh, he served the state for so many years. But uh, but um, Representative Michaud was sitting in, in the back on, on mm-hmm. I guess, the Republican side. And I walked over to him. I said, uh, it took a while. But we finally got you over here. So <laughs> and, and, and he just laughed. And, uh, you know, and then you look back and see him and Robert Reeves sitting beside each other. And then, uh you know, uh, you had a representative, Edith Warren, was on the floor as well. And uh, so it, it is a dysfunctional family at times, but it is a family. And and the thing I like about not, you know, it's unfortunate we have to do the resolutions, but those, those are part of life. But he, hearing the stories, the stories that you don't know. It's, it's fun to hear the stories and the friendships um, that a lot of these members had across the aisle from each other.
0: Well, one member we're going to speak to this week is, is a friend of yours. He is a colleague of yours, uh, House Democratic Leader Robert Reeves. He sat down for an interview with Brandy Fuentes and I. Brandy is our intern for the summer. She's from Wingate University. And we had a good discussion. Representative Robert Reeves, the Democratic House leader. Thank you for being on the podcast, sir.
3: I appreciate you guys having me on here
1: today. It's so nice to have you on the podcast, and I'm honored to be here. Just to start us off, can you please tell us a little more about your district and what makes it special?
3: Um, Right now, um, and I shouldn't say right now, we don't know what redistricting looks like, but I represent District 54, which is Chatham and Durham County. Um, It used to be Chatham and Lee County County. Uh, which I was born in Lee County, but I'm um, now represent Chatham-Durham. The good thing is it's always been all of Chatham, and now I have the uh, southwestern portion of Durham in the county, and uh, it, it's really a good district. It's got a good mix of people. I've had um, a lot of good relationships, and Chatham's kind of funny because in a lot of senses it's a microcosm of North Carolina, but on the flip side, it, it gives you like this utopia. Of politics because I've got a lot of my mayors are Republican then um, you know our County Commissioners are Democrat and we've all got great relationships we just lost an amazing mayor um, in Cyril City recently uh, he was uh, Republican and, and probably one of my closer political friends there because it just um, just got a lot of good people and so I really really enjoyed the district my wife is originally from Chatham so I've got a lot of family there and a lot of friends. So it's been great.
0: You did an interview recently with a local newspaper in your community. I think it was a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and I know you just lost your mom and by the, I'm very sorry. My, my deepest condolences about your mother in this article prior to her death, you talked about what an instrumental role your mother played in getting your political career started and your father's by the way
3: yes yes and um that is interesting and if i can digress just a little bit it it, immediately when you ask me about that i think about the other part of district 54 with durham Mm -hmm. in the sense of durham reminds me more of what i grew up with with my mother in the sense of just a pure love of people. And, and that's really who she was. I, it's funny. I've got a couple of our precinct chairs in Durham that I, I pick at all the time about, you know, I know I had to pass their, um, their, their, uh, resume checking, uh, <laughs> before I got <laughs> in, but that, that was what I always thought of with my mother because she just loved people and just mm-hmm. wanted to see what's the best we could get for people. And so how she inspired me and my father, uh, short version of the story, my dad, at the time um, was involved in a suit that, that uh, had to do with gerrymandering in Lee County. Mm-hmm. Um, the city of Sanford, if you know Lee County, Sanford is mostly Lee County, but of course it's not all just Lee County. And so uh, you had a large African-American population right in the middle of Sanford. And with the way our districts were drawn, the population was broken up. Mm-hmm. And so of course, minorities couldn't elect the candidate of their choice. Uh, which we know, of course, is the test now. Unfortunately, we know a lot about that in North Carolina. But at that time, he had uh, gotten involved in basically a suit um, to get us redistricted. And so it was a pretty long, tough fight. The Justice Department got involved in it. And, and, and his thing was just that folks there needed representation. And, uh, and that was always how he was. He got involved in a lot of activities um, that at that time he didn't think of as political activities, but just we've got folk that need to have, be heard. Mm-hmm. And so once everything settled, they redistricted, and the district, uh, the new district that did not have a uh, commissioner for it, was his. Was the district he lived in? And if you knew my dad, especially back then, I mean, he was still uh, really young, and um,
0: and you were a young child at this yes, point. Yes, yeah. yes, I yeah.
3: was probably. I have to think. I think he ran. I can't even remember what year it was, but I was a teenager. I think I was just about in high school. And so he was, um, you know, talking to my mom and, and I remember him coming in and I can really remember the day because, you know, it was a Sunday day, we're sitting in the living room and he was laughing because some of the folks had said, hey, he really needed to consider running for this position. And he's like, I'm not getting into politics. I'm just not doing that. <laughs> and so um, he's like, isn't that funny? You know, and my mother was like you're really going to have to sit and consider this. And she went on for about a two hour discussion with him and really broke down in a, um, in her way, she was never overly emotional, never, um, um, trying to, she never tried to get you with emotion. She really tried to reason out the situation. And ultimately what she said is, well, if it's not you, then who should it be? You've got all of these people that believe in you, that support you, who have now looked to you as a hero. Mm-hmm. And how do you not do this? How do you not take it through? And, and that did impress me because, you know, my parents were always, uh, they're always good about having me there in the room for the adult conversations.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And so I was just like, wow, that that's real. And she won him over. And I'm telling you, literally nobody else was going to get him to run. Yeah. And so, uh, he walked the district and, uh, won the district and he's been there ever since. So you're
0: listening to this as a, as a young child and years later, you're, you're practicing law in Lee County. Yes. And the seat comes open. Are your mom's words to your father echoing in your head at
3: this point? Not only were they echoing in my head, but they were being repeated to me. Yeah. <laughs> and okay. So I had um I got a couple of calls when the seat opened up. It was actually two Republicans, two Democrats. And you know, long story short, I had a couple of friends of mine that were close, and I. And I'm telling literally the same conversation. I was just like, picture this, you know, they want me to stop practicing law, basically, and go to the General Assembly. And, you know, I've never run for office. Yeah, isn't that crazy? And one of my friends um, did um, positive reinforcement. Okay. And you know, one of my <laughs> friends took a more direct approach. But ultimately, both of them said the same message. And all I could think of is what my mother said to my father. Yeah. And that was their position. It was just like, look, we, we think you're the best equipped. You're the best person for the job. Why would you not, at a time when people need you? Yeah, and that was um that that resonated with me. And again, my thing was if, if this is what people feel, then you know, then that's what we'll do.
0: So you are serving in the General Assembly. You become Deputy Democratic Leader. You are now the Democratic Minority Leader. We've talked about this on the podcast where serving in the minority in the General Assembly is very challenging. You don't have control of the schedule. You don't have control of the agenda. Can you kind of peel back the curtain for our listeners and and talk about your role as the Democratic leader in the House and what your responsibilities are with negotiating with the majority and other things?
3: Well, I would say that in short, your role as Democratic leader is the same as your role as representative in this sense. As representative, I'm here to make sure that the folks in Durham and Chatham County have a voice in the General Assembly. That may be a voice that has different feelings, thoughts, and ideas than other counties and other districts throughout the state. Yeah. My role as Democratic leader is to make sure that the different members of the Democratic Caucus have a voice yeah. at the table. It's not reasonable for 51 of us to sit down with the speaker every time there's a decision. Right. And so it's up to me to make sure that I reflect that voice. And part of that process is understanding this isn't about what I feel, this isn't about what I think, but this is about what my caucus feels and what best serves my caucus. And so that, that in a nutshell is what the role is. And I think that the caucus would not be dissimilar at times from the voting population in the sense of understanding what we can and can't do, you know, what's possible, not possible. And part of my job is to make sure that we understand the things that we can do the things that will be a challenge for us to do and I think that is a big issue that you also deal with throughout the state yeah because people don't always understand how government works you know I, I know that I can give you various examples where people saying oh well if this is going on then this is all you have to do like I'll never forget um, I had an opponent at one point in time and that opponent was, uh, I was there at the neighborhood to talk to them about an issue they were having. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, all these people have done a lot of research to understand the issue and stuff. And my opponent was just like, well, just write a bill to fix it. And that's all <laughs> you got to do. Just write a bill to fix it. This is something <laughs> everybody can agree on. Right. <laughs> and I said, good luck. But that—that uh, that is what the, uh, the real challenge is, is making sure that you're reflecting everything that, the folks that you represent and feel and and that's what i am as leader as a representative of my caucus
0: yeah so when you go to speaker tim moore or Rules chairman dustin hall or majority leader john bell i mean you're going and you're negotiating with them and you are known for being civil in your debate you're known for being reasonable you're always think of you as the cooler in the General Assembly. You, you bring the temperature down when things are getting hot, and you did that a, a lot when you were deputy leader. What's it like, you know, trying to maintain relationships with the Republican leadership with them knowing that you want their job, right? You, if, if Democrats were to take the chamber, it would be logical to think that you would be Speaker of the House.
3: Well, I think that what it is, is that the the thing that I I probably pride myself on the most is making sure that they know, anybody that deals with me, know this is never personal. This is right. never about our personalities. This is never about, you know, my personal feelings. This is about, again, representing a group. Yeah. And anytime we talk, they understand that. And I think what has happened over the last couple of years, I, we're in a unique circumstance in the sense that I've had a relationship with all three before this happened. And I think that's helped out a yeah. lot. Um, a known speaker more. Um, we, we were in school, the yeah, we didn't know each other as well then, but we've kind of known each other for years. Um, you know, Majority Leader John Bell and I uh, share some folks in common. Uh, you know, Destin's a criminal law attorney just like me, and so he... Uh, it, we understand the challenges that both of us have, especially being up here 12 months out of the year. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's really helped out a lot. And I think the fact that they know that if I do bring something up, that is a real issue, mm-hmm. you know, there's not, I don't send out smoke. Right. <laughs> for right. lack of a better term. If it's something I'm talking to you about, it's something I'm serious about. I'm not calling you all the time asking for this or asking for that. And so I I think that's helped us out a lot in the relationship. And, and again, we keep it simple. Like after the midnight session Thursday, Yeah. Uh, Leader Bell and I were able to sit around for several minutes and just talk. Yeah. And again, you know, nothing personal. We disagree, and there's nothing wrong with disagreeing.
0: Speaking of of Majority Leader Bell and and Rules Chairman Hall, they've both been on the podcast. And when we talk about working with the Democrats, they are completely respecting you. They really think a lot of you. Destin Hall says that you're one of the members that when you get to the floor, he stops what he's doing and he turns around and he listens to your debate. He, he, he said, you know, oftentimes he's gonna vote the way he's gonna vote, <laughs> but they do admire the way you debate and they also admire the content of which you, they said. You give them things to think about Things that, you know, maybe this bill isn't as perfect as they thought it would be coming out of caucus. What's your reaction to that?
3: Well, I want to feel the same. And, and I would include Speaker Moore in that, that, too, because, again, it has been a really good open relationship. It is um, it, they, they've really made this job a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I can call at any time, text at any time. I, as soon as they can respond, they respond. They, you know, they know the information I need to have. And they know, again, they know if I'm debating, I'm serious about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I try not to talk a whole lot. Unfortunately, this job requires you to talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but at times I do feel like you've got to express, you know, what your thoughts are on an issue. And, and what I think that it helps with both of us is they know that if I'm having a debate, you know, again, this isn't a gotcha moment. This is; these are some sincere issues that I see going forward, and we may disagree about whether or not those are big issues. Mm-hmm. But, um, but all that being said, I cannot imagine having a better relationship than I do with the three of them um, at this point. Because uh, again, Chair Hall has been um, amazing. I, I couldn't have jumped into his job
1: mm-hmm. and
3: done it as well as he's been doing it. Okay. I mean, it's, it is. My job's difficult. Rules chair is very difficult because that's where everything goes. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, you don't always have the control to make those decisions. And, you know, because, you know, again, he's representing the group. but uh, and, and, again, Majority Leader Bell and I uh, commiserate a lot on um, who's got the most members mad at him at a particular time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get to
0: that in a minute, Brandy. <laughs>
1: I've been at the General Assembly for a few weeks now. And as I shared with you, I've been doing this internship and I've learned a lot. And I think the most valuable thing that I've learned is knowing that relationships have really been a key part of making things happen. And just like you said, a lot of people think, oh, just make a bill. Fix it. you know. But there's a complex system behind it. What skill do you think you possess that has made you more successful in getting things done, even though with all these limitations you're presented with as a minority?
3: I think being able to listen. Mm -hmm. And I think that recognizing that if somebody expresses something that there's validity to what they're saying, don't um, presuppose what their motivations are, you know, don't try to ascribe ideas to them that they haven't expressed, but really just listen to what their concerns are. And and a lot of times my experience has been if you actually listen to what they're saying, that where there is the ability to find some common ground, you'll find that common ground. And I think too often what's happened, especially now, uh, you know, with the advent of the Internet, you know, the Mm -hmm. worst thing that's happened right now is people just don't listen to each other anymore. You know, you'd be shocked. I tell folks all the time, you'd be shocked how many things we actually agree on. Mm -hmm. But but people, especially outside the chamber, like inside the chamber, people recognize those relationships matter. You know, you know, our Internet warriors don't always recognize that, Mm -hmm. you know, they'll say, you know, you need to get this done. I agree. We need to get this done. Well, you need to do it better. And, you know, it's like there's always got to be an answer. So that that to me is the key point is that, you know, I don't mind listening. I don't think it's the skill in debate it's the skill in listening.
0: Let me ask you about uh, leading the caucus. You have a very diverse caucus in every way, politically, uh, geographically, racially. You are trying to balance keeping your caucus together maybe standing firm on a veto, but you have members that, that may need to support a bill, or maybe they think they need to support a bill because of this district that they're in. Some districts, you know, we, we talk about gerrymandering, but there are about 20 districts you could flip a coin, right? And, right. And, and those members are very aware. How do you approach that in your caucus?
3: Information. Okay. And and, and I, I can answer that quickly because that that is the hardest thing i worked on during this session as far as making sure that we have a structure in place so that people can get the most information yeah. that they can get about a bill or about an issue. And I think what you find is a lot of times once they get that information, they they can make a better evaluation of really what the position should be. Like you, when you look at a 30-second clip, that might tell you you need to do one thing, but when you actually do a deep dive, what you find out sometimes is, well, maybe the best thing for my district is the opposite of what I thought it was. Yeah. And it's not about a person not knowing their district. It's actually having information about these bills because these things move so fast. And you know, the, the unfortunate thing about being a minority is, you know, when, you know, HB 62 comes through, it, you may have people in the chamber that have known about this bill for three months. And there may be some of us that just saw it Monday and it's going to be voted on Thursday. So it is, um, I think that is really important. And part of that is recognizing you can't do it by yourself. Mm-hmm. I think a, uh, a tendency we all have as leaders is to sometimes want to centralize everything. Mm-hmm. And my position has been, I want as many people involved in this process as I can realistically. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously we can't have 51 people making every decision about everything, but if we've got different people that they can trust, you know, if they know that they can go you know, to Brandy and know that, hey, if it's an issue about the climate, I can talk to her. You know, I can talk to Brian about an issue about elections. And then they know that when these people talk to me, I'm actually getting good, real information that mm-hmm. makes all the difference in the world. So you're not making that decision in a vacuum and trusting the people that are around you, knowing that you guys actually have my best interests at heart, mm-hmm. because that, that, that takes a lot. You can be in the same caucus all day, but not knowing that you can trust the people on either side of you is a big deal. And I think that one of the things that I hope has happened is that members feel like they can trust each other more.
1: Right now we're living in a climate where you're either blue or you're either red, very polarized. So we like to ask if you had a magic wand and you could wave it and change anything about our political climate to bring us together, what would that be?
3: Even districts and less money. All right. It's just that simple. I think if you, you know, whether either side wants to admit it or not, the reality is this about these districts, if all of us had to serve, large percentages of both sides in each of our districts it would change our discourse completely if you're in a district that is a heavily leaning district towards yeah. one party or another then you can take certain positions that may not be helpful for a state like north carolina that's a purple state yeah but if you all have to serve everybody equally that changes and, and the same thing with money you know my thing is money obviously is not something that can just go away But the reality is, is when you look at what a race costs today and compare that, even with inflation compare that to what a race costs 20 years ago, it's ridiculous. And it shouldn't be about who can raise the most money, who can spend the most money, it it should be about who the people, because our seats are still at a situation where people can get to know their representatives. And I'd rather that more get decided based on that than based on the amount of money that can get put in a race.
0: My first boss in North Carolina politics was a state senator, former senator Sandy Sands, and he said he never spent more than ten thousand dollars to win his Senate race back in the '80s and '90s. And races are costing a half a million to a million dollars now.
3: Yeah, I mean, we—I've seen more million-dollar races in the last two cycles than—and I mean, million on one side—than I've seen um, in all my life in politics, and especially again, in North Carolina, you know, this isn't New York City, you know, this isn't um, LA. I mean, you know, this is North Carolina. So we really, I I think that if we're serious about getting good government, those are the two things we've got to work on. And and again, this is not jumping on either side. I mean, both both sides have had a chance to fix it. Both sides have had a chance to make it different. But I really would like to see a government much more responsive to both sides. I, I love the fact that Republicans in my district feel like they can call me just the same as Democrats can call me and you know be able to get an answer and get a discussion.
0: Representative Robert Reeves, House Democratic Leader, we appreciate all you do for your district, all you do for the House and the state. You certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you for being on the podcast.
3: Thank you for having me. Thank both of you and uh, Randy, I hope we don't turn you off from politics. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's
0: got the bug. Good. Dude. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Thanks a lot. Thank you. What a great conversation with Representative Reeves. He talked about you a lot, Representative Bell. What's your thoughts? So,
2: so you take away the politics and take away the positions, and Robert and I are friends. hmm and uh and, and that's where our relationship starts and he, he's good people I like to say he's good people and uh, we're able to talk and have blunt conversations on um, we trust each other work with each other and we shoot each other straight and, uh, and it's a great relationship to have and and we laugh and joke and we pick on each other and uh, you know we we, we we compare notes on on the challenges we have trying trying to get information and, and direction to caucus but uh Robert's uh, a really good legislator, mm-hmm. and uh, but he's a great friend.
0: And you don't hold it against him. That he would like your job or he would like to be speaker? I mean, that's part of the game, right? Oh,
2: no. I I definitely know that. We're we're definitely on different teams. Sure,
0: sure. (laughs) You know, it's like when I used to watch baseball games on TV as an avid Cubs fan. I couldn't understand why the guy who just got a single was making small talk to the first baseman. You're like, what is he doing? (laughs) But that's essentially what it is, right? You can compete, but when you're on first base, you can talk to each other.
2: Well, you know, yeah. And that's just the way it is. Uh, You know, he's on a different team than I am, but but we're friends and we have conversations. He wants to, he wants to, to, to beat me I want to beat him but at the end of the day uh, you know, we're, we're, we're friends and we don't take it personal and so there, there's been times on the floor where uh, there was one instance where I, I just felt like we were, we were really undisciplined in our floor debate and I actually talked to the caucus about this as well and I went up to Robert and said man you had a really good day you did a good job mm-hmm. And then he said, he smiled, and I said, it's not going to happen again. (laughs) So, and we laughed and joked, and we were able to have those conversations. And, you know, the thing I like about Robert is, um, excuse me, Representative Reeves. Mm -hmm. Uh, The thing I like about Representative Reeves is that we've been in negotiations, we've been in discussions, uh, and and we can say, okay, we just agree to disagree, now let's move to the next point. And and, and that's a good relationship to have.
0: I was talking to a staffer right after Representative Reeves was, elected by his caucus to lead the democrats and this staffer high up works for a powerful legislator said yeah uh representative reeves is smart strategic he's very calm and that could be problems for us mm-hmm. <laughs> right it is i, I actually watched <laughs> on
2: the floor one day uh, it, it was kind of funny uh, one of our our members stood up and And uh, Representative Reeves was was not engaging in the debate. He was, you know, other members were doing that. And for some reason, I remember jumped up and asked him a question. I was like, why are you engaging (laughs) the number one draft pick for the Democratic caucus in the debate? And uh, he stumped Robert for like three-tenths of a second. And Robert turned his head and grinned. And I was like, oh, this is going to be good. (laughs) And... um, (laughs) Robert gave an outstanding rebuttal.
0: Yeah, I can see that. He he is a very skillful legislator and a good leader, and it's really refreshing this session, and I really mean it by this session. The temperature has gone down at the General Assembly. You guys have had your fights. We've seen it. We saw the midnight session last week, but the temperature has really gone down.
2: We'll still go toe-to-toe, and we'll still fire back and forth, but— um Leading up to the next election is when you're going to start seeing the intensity starting to rise. So. <laughs> that's right.
0: That's right. Let's switch gears a little bit to the U.S. Senate race. It has nothing really to do with the General Assembly. We saw some campaign finance reports come out this week. Sherry Beasley seems to be on fire, raised $1.3 million last quarter. Her, I guess her second contender would be Senator Jeff Jackson who raised about seven hundred thousand dollars but one thing that was interesting representative bell it was reported this week that no democrats in the general assembly have made a donation to senator jeff jackson i don't think anyone's made an endorsement of senator
2: jeff jackson senator jackson uh, has his issues in in the general assembly and i think that speaks volumes that that no member on the Democrat caucus uh, has got behind his campaign.
0: We also saw some money raised on the Republican side. Ted Budd, who was endorsed by President Donald Trump, raised close to a million dollars. Pat McCrory, uh, one and a quarter million dollars. Mark Walker, raised two hundred thousand dollars are you watching this race at all as as far as this u.s senate race and oh, who's jockeying for I, what I, i'm
2: watching all of it because this is going to be the the top of the ticket That's for right. the 2022 election and you know um i'm willing to pull my crystal ball out and say this is going to be the most expensive u.s senate race in the country and, uh, and look you've got some you got some pretty good candidates i'm um, governor mccroy is no stranger to north carolina right. politics he served as governor for four years he's run two statewide elections Uh, actually three statewide elections Uh, people know him uh you know you've you've got mar walker who served in congress and he's from a more metropolitan area in greensboro winston salem that in charlotte that's a huge population of the state and then you got ted budd who also served that area as well who's very well liked and uh it it was like he got shot out of a cannon when president trump endorsed him Mm -hmm. it it just went to a whole nother level Mm -hmm. and so uh, it's gonna be interesting to, to, to to see this play out and uh I'm sure all three of them be coming through uh, my area multiple times and look forward to visiting with them and uh, have had good conversations with, uh, with Ted Budd and Governor McCroy. and uh, we'll, we'll know when it comes to primary time, so it's gonna be um, th- th- this is going to be the, the big primary to watch.
0: You want to try a crystal ball here, and you got any predictions on who emerges out of these these parties?
2: You know, I think it's between uh, Congressman Budd and, and Governor McCroy. And at the end of the day if if I had to place a bet I think I think Ted Buzz quicks it out in the end. I think the mm-hmm. the president's endorsement helped him out there. But uh, it's gonna be a, a fight to the end. And, a- the- and, and frankly we don't know who else is jumping in yet.
0: That's true. That's true. On the Democratic side, who do you think who do you think emerges?
2: How can you not pick um, Justice Beasley? I mean, she mm-hmm. just came off of the statewide election, uh, where Millions of dollars were spent statewide. I would think her name ID would be pretty high. In uh, some of our polling, it even showed up. People thought she was Cherie Berry. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the in the last election. Lady, okay. Yeah, and, and so, um, So, you, you know, I would think her name ID would take her across the finish line in the Democrat primary.
0: So, this is the time in the podcast where Sky and I sit around and try to figure out what's going to happen next week. Well, you're going to make this a little easier for us because you are in the room when we decide what we're doing next week. What does next week look like for us at the General Assembly?
2: Um, next week we're we'll going to come in. We we'll have session on Monday night. Um, okay. I mean, the first time we've had a, a vote session on, on Monday night in the House. Um, we'll have votes on Monday. We'll have votes on Tuesday. You'll see um, some some committees ramp up during the week. Uh, our Appropriation chairs will be working. We do have a, a number of members going to a legislative conference that week, and so they'll be out of there. And uh, they'll go have fun, and some people, like me, will still be in the building working. <laughs> yeah. It should be a short and light week, and uh, but uh, I do not have the magic ball to know what the Senate's going to do. No. Um, they've been very energized with moving legislation the last two weeks, so it should be an interesting re- week in the Senate.
0: Yeah, yeah. What do you do for fun, by the way, when when you're not... I come to Raleigh. <laughs> <laughs> guest guest appear on podcasts. Yeah, yeah
2: yeah no no my um my fun is uh, i enjoy spending time with family i enjoy spending time with my daughter um one of my one of my favorite things to do is is really boring but i enjoy cutting grass really i do i enjoy, I, I broke down and bought a new lawnmower this year for the first time in i don't know 20 years and i put my earbuds on i listen to a podcast right. or listen to my music and cut grass and uh and, and just just try to relax all
4: right well now, now,
2: come fall, the answer is going to change because I'm going to try to go hunting. And, and in the wintertime, we we'll try to go duck hunting and, and do those adventurous things throughout the state. So.
0: And college football, too, where you can now get, you know, you can get a beer at a college yes, football yeah, game yeah.
2: because of you. Yeah, yes. I, I, I still get text messages. That's how I'll, I'll always be remembered for the guy who lets you buy a beer at a ball game, which is pretty cool. But uh, And this should be a great college football season. Looks like the teams in North Carolina are going to be good. And, uh, and so, you know, we have a potential at UNC to possibly watch a Heisman candidate emerge uh, mm-hmm. with Sam Howell. And, you know, ECU's on the rebound, and NC State's going to be pretty decent, and Wake Forest. And you got old Appalachian State over there, which is uh, pretty doggone good every year. Mm-hmm. And then you got your mid majors, which are very competitive. So it should be a fun fall.
0: Yeah. Well, I hope that by the time the fall comes we'll be you know at a football game drinking a beer and celebrating a budget and the state will be good and then we have to look forward to redistricting That's
2: right. <laughs> so, don't, so don't get your hopes up
0: <laughs> well in the meantime i hope you get some grass mowed and you get to spend time with your wife and daughter it's been great having you on the podcast this week we certainly hope sky feels better but this has been really fun
2: i thoroughly enjoyed it and thank you for inviting me and i uh, you know if, if if sky needs to, to take a day off I'm, I'm always willing to come over and sit down with you so so thank you for the opportunity and we do hope sky gets to feeling better
0: we do take the time to rate review leave a comment about this podcast share it with your friends help us find listeners we hope that you have a restful weekend a great week ahead
2: and remember to do politics better